Good morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look upon your holy scriptures this morning, please guide our minds and our hearts and our thoughts by your spirit. Convict us this morning of the truth of your word. We pray for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen. The eye-catching verse for the day has to be, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What a remarkable statement for the Apostle Paul to make. All things. And I think about us here gathered today in our congregation that's not all here today. I see, I see young mums who would love to be able to do all things, especially all at once. To keep a tidy house while keeping all the children under perfect control, having well-presented meals at breakfast, lunch and dinner. I see older members of us, I point my finger here at myself, who would be able to do even all the things we used to do when we were younger. We're not as fit as we used to be. Did Paul really mean all things? Or is there a context here? Surely if Paul had meant only some things, he would have said so. Surely he would have, I can do some things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, Answer, yes, but there is definitely context. I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. Um, Paul is talking about being content in every situation that he finds himself. I can do all things does not mean Paul controls his circumstances in which he lives. He doesn't, by faith, bring about a certain path in life or a certain outcome to what he's what he's facing. He doesn't by faith become the most successful tent maker in the region or even bring about a sweet deal with his buyers and suppliers. I can do all things does not mean I will be prosperous or I will be healthy. All things doesn't mean that Paul takes the lows out of life and only keeps the highs. Paul says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. Oh, that's not the all things I was thinking about. Sometimes God brings us down for our own good and for the good of the gospel. Of course, you know Paul was writing this from prison, yeah? Now, that's got to be a low point for a travelling evangelist. No congregation and no transport. Just four walls. Lock him up and don't let him talk to anyone. You can imagine Paul loudly proclaiming in the prison walls, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the jailer sitting there listening, going, mate, you can't even eat unless I give you some food. No, Paul was saying, I can do all things, including be locked up in prison and be content about it because I'm in Christ. 
as we step back a little um, to the greater context of Paul's letter to the Philippians, I can do all things means I can do all things through Jesus. Don't forget that part. That's the most important part. I can do all things necessary to live out my life as a faith-filled, content Christian. So what might that look like? What would doing all things through Jesus necessary to live out my life as a faith-filled Christian, what might that look like? And I can think of, of three things. Making, the, making much of Jesus Christ as the greatest treasure in the universe. Experiencing deep contentment of soul rather than living in constant turmoil and anxiety. Being a person who overflows with love to others, no matter the cost. First, I want to pose the question, why are we here? Why do we exist? Colossians 1, 15 and 16 says, He, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So all things, including us, were created through Jesus and for Jesus. Now, being created for Jesus doesn't mean that we take up some deficiency that he has. It doesn't mean that he's deficient in some way. He didn't make the universe as a crutch to lean on. On the contrary, Hebrews 1.3 says, he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He created all things not because he needed a supplement, but to show and proclaim the truth of every facet of his glory. We exist for the glory of Jesus Christ. Whether we want to or not, whether we are saved or unsaved, we exist as part of his eternal plan as creator, as redeemer and the saviour to triumph over sin, the world and the devil. We exist to glorify him who's coming to restore all things. For believers... They will be used, sorry, for unbelievers, they will be used to show Christ's glory through his perfect justice and judgment as they are punished in hell. But for believers, and this is very good news, we will be used to show his mercy and grace because we trusted Jesus who was punished in God's perfect justice and judgment. And we will be given the costly but free to us gift of eternal life. Either way, to magnify Christ is why we exist.
in um, Philippians 1.20, uh, Paul says that it's his eager expectation that Christ will be honoured in Paul's own body, whether by his life or by his death. So more than just our mere existence, but in our day-to-day functional lives as Christians, we expect to honour and to magnify Christ. It's part of God's plan. It's what we're made for. And I'd like to suggest, in fact, I'm fully convinced that there's no other pursuit in life that can give you deep commitment, sorry, contentment of soul than to magnify the Lord. So today, in Philippians 4, 11 and 13, Paul says that he's learned in whatever situation that he's in to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learnt the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So whether Paul is in need or in abundance, he's content. Paul received a gift from the Philippians, but the gift was not the essence of his contentment. He would have been content, he says, even if they didn't give him a gift. You know, you might say, abundance isn't the problem for me, it's the lack of it. I think back to my childhood, and in the lead up to Christmas Day, I think I used to think about what I might get, what gifts I might get, what goodies that I might get. And, and you know, the joy of Christmas for children can last different lengths of time through the day, can't it? I, you know, some days it might go through to lunchtime until I walked up the street and saw a child a better gift. Um, I, remember, I remember one particular... I'll just wait for Sal to get that door closed properly. I remember one particular Christmas when in a little bag at the enemy bed there was this lovely model balsa wood boat that I had to assemble. Now, by the time mum and dad woke up that morning, I'd smashed that boat in frustration. I'd been put, trying to put together and then, and dad comes out and he was like almost in tears. He was like, because he, he had this idea that we were going to do this on Christmas morning together, you know. He said, why don't you come and ask me for help? My point is that when we seek contentment from things, it doesn't last. It evaporates. There is a secret, Paul says, to facing abundance and plenty. You wouldn't think so, would you? In the middle of the drought, I'd cry out, bless me, Lord, for some rain and some, some money. It won't be a problem, honest Lord, it won't be a problem. Like, just send them rain and I'll deal with it, it'll be okay. But there's actually a great danger in having plenty. When we have plenty, our priorities change. Most people I know, and myself included, when they got their first paycheck, what did we do? We went out and we bought a big bag of lollies and chocolates. Maybe not everyone, I can see a few faces around the room, probably bought something different, maybe a bag of makeup, whatever it was. But it, and as, 
There's nothing wrong with that, but very subtly, my focus became a little bit more on myself. And it became a little bit more less, a little bit less on God. Just a little bit. And self-indulgence, self-indulgence also goes with self-reliance, which is actually the opposite of faith. And faith says, God, I need you for everything, including life itself. But when we have an abundance, we begin to think, and we don't need to trust God. We've got enough money in the bank. We've got enough stuff. Then we start to begin to think, and I did that. I worked hard for that, and I, I made that happen. I'm pretty, I'm pretty good. Uh, soon, arrogance and self-righteousness and pride set in. We look to things as a basis of contentment and not to God. It's basically idolatry. Now, the answer is not to be hungry and needy, although sometimes we wish it on our kids just to teach them a lesson. But being in need poses the exact same problems. The temptation is to say, if only I had more money or whatever, all my troubles would be over and I'll be content. The contentment that Paul speaks of is not a gladness based on pleasant human experiences. It's a gladness that's grounded in Christ. In fact, Philippians 3, 7 and 8 says, but whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, but count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So neither things nor the lack of things can be the source of contentment in Christ. They They are to be considered loss because the surpassing worth is knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. Can I just pause for a second here? The surpassing worth is knowing Jesus. That's our surpassing that, that's, that's That's worth more than you've ever had, more than you've ever seen on this earth, in the most lavish and um, decadent of situations that you've ever seen. The most valuable thing is to know Jesus. And I, I do think we, you know... We think about values, and I do think of, by the way, this is a joke, and um, that's not the punchline, but there's this guy who went to heaven, and he wanted to take, he was very rich, he wanted to take a lot of valuable stuff with him, and so God did this deal, this is a made-up story, obviously, God did this deal and said, well, you can just take one thing, and so away he went, and he got um, this wheelbarrow, and he brought up all these gold bars, you know the story, some of you, and... St. Peter stands at the gate and goes, you can't come in with gold bars. He says, no, no, I've done the deal. Go check. goes, checks. And he goes, no, you're right. He said, but I've got, a, I've got one question for you. Like, why on earth would you bring street pavers? We've got to get it straight. Knowing Jesus changes everything in our life. It, cha- it turns our values upside down. Things that the world values are no longer valuable. Earthly riches are no longer valuable. 
holiness and righteousness become very valuable. And they're no longer strive for, but they're received as a gift. Sin is no longer hidden, but it's confessed. By trusting in him, we are no longer of the world, but we are in Christ. This is the secret of Philippians 4.12. We have contentment in both plentiful times and hungry times because we are in Christ and he's our source of contentment. Our joy is in Christ, not conveniences. It's in Christ and not in health. Really, not health. I mean, how many times have I heard people say health is everything? But no, Jesus is everything, not health. Our joy is in Christ, not riches. In Christ, not fame. In Christ, not even life. A Christian can lie on the deathbed and have contentment and joy because they are in Christ. The highest honour that can be bestowed on anyone is to be a friend of Jesus. So, the verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, includes being brought low and going without. Whatever God has in store for us in his sovereign plan, we can do through Christ. God often puts difficult situations for our own good. It's mostly not what we would have chosen for ourselves. But later, with the benefit of hindsight, we would say, I wouldn't have it any other way. Sal and I prayed for some years wanting God to bless us with kids. The waiting was awful. It was agonising. When finally the gifts arrived, I mean, maybe somehow we thought it was because we got all our ducks in a row. But years later, I could see that God's timing was perfect. And now I would say I would never change the timing of that for a whole bunch bunch of reasons. But the the big thing was that God drew us deeper and deeper into himself during that time. And he strengthened us. I was listening to a podcast from Tim Keller this week and he said something really jarring. He said, often the worst thing that God could do for us is to answer our prayers the way that we want them. You know, we think we've got the best, we know what's best for us, but really we have no idea. But God in his sovereign plan answers when and how he pleases And he gives us the strength to wait and endure whatever it is. Whatever it needs to be that will glorify him and guide us to to live that faith-filled Christian life. I can do all things through him who strengthens me because I trust him and he strengthens me. Faith's the only thing that's required to have a relationship with God. Faith, or, or simply trust in God, is how we're saved. 
It's by that same faith that we walk with him. From the moment that we truly believe, God's Holy Spirit enters us and stays with us, guiding us, comforting us, reminding us of the love the Father has for us that he should send his only son to die for our sins. God is more interested in developing our character than any plan that we might make for ourselves. Now you might have noticed that I'm working backwards through this passage this morning, but at the beginning in verses 8 and 9 it says, Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. These are the things that the mind of a faith-filled Christian thinks about. Truth, holiness, purity, justice and loveliness. We think about these things because that is what God is like. And as we think about these things and we practice these things, we have this promise that the God of peace will be with us. And Paul says, we do four things. We learn, we receive, we hear, and we see the way of Christ through others. That's why we gather here today. If we don't practice what we say we believe we probably didn't really believe it in the first place and our faith is in great trouble these things as Paul calls them are the very nature of God he is true he is honourable, he is just he is pure, he is lovely he is commendable, he is excellent and he is praiseworthy So we think about him because he is with us. Obviously the flip side of these attributes are untruth, dishonour, unjustness. These are not the attributes of God. They're the attributes of Satan. And you won't get peace there. But as we think about and practice the things of God, we experience his peace and presence as we live that life glorifying to him. When we become a person who overflows with love to other people, no matter the cost, this is Jesus. This is who he is, who left heaven to die and save his enemies. 